couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Hey, it's Wheel of Randy, everybody's favorite Randy Newman podcast. Wheel of Randy is part of the Good Trash Media Network. A couple of notes before the show today. My guest and I are going to be discussing several songs. Feel free to pause and listen to each song before we talk about it. If you go to our Twitter page, at Wheel of Randy, you'll find links to all the songs that we're discussing today. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. Stay tuned after this episode for a message from those fine folks. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy. My guest today is a screenwriter, director, actor, comedian, musician, you name it. His credits include Freaks and Geeks, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the upcoming blockbuster The Fiddling Horse. He directed one of my favorite documentaries of recent years called I Need You to Kill. His new documentary is Michael DeBar, Who Do You Want Me to Be? Please welcome to the Wheel of Randy, Mr. J. Elvis Weinstein. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, I'm so used to hearing you called Josh. Do you go by Josh conversationally? I do, yeah. Oh. Josh. J. Uh, is my screen name. Uh, I have to admit right off the bat, Josh, you and I have a very um, asymmetrical relationship for the past three years or so i've spent two hours every monday listening to your podcast thoughts viral which you host with andy kindler and as of two minutes ago you'd never heard my voice before it's true but um, it, it didn't disappoint well thank you uh, as someone who's in the entertainment business all your adult life how do you handle that disconnect with your audience? How, how do you stay so fan-friendly with those relationships? Well, it helps to not have very many fans. <laughs> uh, that really keeps it, uh, keeps it manageable. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't you know, it, it's, not, it's not a big gulf, you know. I'm not a big star. I don't, you know, I don't pretend to be a big star, you know, so... If someone, you know, if I can connect with somebody and that's how we met, at least we know we have, you know, we share the common ground of my sensibilities, you know. <laughs> it, it, it seems, even even though you're, you're not a celebrity, uh, the projects you're involved with all seem to have rabid fan bases. Yeah, I've had, a, uh, I've had the luck of uh, being attached to a couple of cult beloved things you mentioned mystery science theater and freaks and geeks so you know i think you know and i I love that i love that those are the kinds of uh things that i've left in my trail you know because it means that these things even though they weren't huge successes in the scheme of show business they clearly connected hard with people you know and that's that's exciting when you can when you can actually you know get into someone's consciousness and not just pass through you know mm. and, and, and it seems like uh, in everything that i i've i've seen that you're involved in there there's a just a a level of, of 
pride in your work that shines through. There's there's a, a professionalism. There's a high quality in, in, in all of it, and that that, that really makes a difference. Even thought spiral? I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about thought spiral. You're fighting the good fight badly. Yes, I'm fighting the good fight badly. <laughs> memory foam makes you lose your memory. But why does that make you laugh, Josh? Uh, because it, it hurts to cry. Thought spiral. It's gonna go viral. That's fantastic. One of these days. Mr. Andy Kindler, tell me which celebrity's been traveling. You see how I'm interrupting right now? That's my problem. Keeps hoping, leave space open so we can sneak a little joke in. Change his little name to Elvis just so his initials wouldn't spell out J-E-W. And that's why I still love you. Thought spiral. Let's put up a paywall. Here's the way the paywall will work. No. To see if podcasting pays off. Thought Spiral's gonna go viral. Anything but. One of these days. I, I imagine a lot of, 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 of my listeners are, are going to be, you know, Thought Spiral enthusiasts. But, but how would you describe this show to someone who, who's never heard of it before? Um, it's basically the story of a friendship between two comics. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the log line that we use is two Jews, two mics, two hours. And it's kind of doesn't really, you know, break from that. You know, it's, uh, Andy and I are 30 year friends and, uh, you know, the truth is, is that our friendship has developed exponentially more through the podcast than, the 20 some years previous just because we had never talked that much you know you, you two have a, a level of uh, of intimacy that, that, that that's really inspiring that that you're able to talk about the mundane parts of your day but you're also able to talk about deeper issues and and listeners have 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 followed this journey for for three years we've seen you know uh, deaths in the family we've seen uh you know unexpected house expenses just just the the little things that that we're all facing and it's so comforting to hear the two of you uh support each other and at the same time you know bust each other's chops uh, well i think i think you know taking myself out of it one step to be you know to talk about it in terms of nutrition or whatever I do think that's ultimately the value of the show is that I think there's a lot of people who don't have those conversations in life, you know, who don't have that kind of honest, you know, intimate talks, you know, it's just either they, they themselves are reserved or they just don't have those kind of friendships. I grew up in Minnesota where people don't, you know, people don't have those conversations ever, you know, um, you know, uh, and I've noticed that I noticed that growing up as the Jew in so many situations that my paradigm was different than the people I was around, you know, but, you know, I'm someone who values honesty and directness and Andy is someone who's, you know, who is so open ultimately, um, and honest with what's going on with him, you know. Andy's bearing a lot more shit than I am on that show, <laughs> but you know, but it's because apparently I make him feel safe to do so, and so do our audience, you know. 
safe safe is, is is definitely a key word there I found thought spiral to be this 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 curious shorthand if I find someone else who's a regular listener it, it's an instant friendship there's just this immediate connection well my whole theory of podcasts at least how I wanted to approach it was it's a vibe you know you're putting a vibe into the world really you know it's uh you know because it's not a radio show so I didn't want to make it fake polished radio like so many podcasts do I don't know if you do I'm sorry if, if that's what you're going for but I don't think anyone descri- would describe me as polished don't worry about yeah, that so, you know so I feel like my mission for myself at least was just put my vibe into the world and see if people respond to it and more importantly put the combined vibe of Andy and I into the world knowing that we had some both friendship and comedy chemistry together Mm. um, and hope that, you know, people are attracted to it, but you know, I don't, I I don't have anything to sell the show on other than come for the vibe and see if you like it, you know? And, and it's not something where, where you have to be a completist. You can jump in at test show 200 and and you're caught up pretty quickly. Yeah. it, it, It is entirely a, continuing conversation that you can jump into at any time you you know there'll be some references and things that are come from previous conversations but i haven't noticed any no no they rarely come it seems like it's a show that that is hampered by its premise two guys doing a podcast talking about their life nobody's beating down the door saying that's what the world needs more of no exactly and uh, and I we're keenly aware of that, <laughs> but you know, but it's the only thing. It's kind of the only thing we can do, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, the the, the secret is, is you you do it better than the other guys. Well, uh, thank you. I mean, I think we're I think we're above average funny, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, no, you know, I I anything else that would take, um, frankly, preparation. you know would uh would have cursed it Mm. you know it's the fact that you know ultimately for andy it demands nothing but the time to make the the time on the air all he has to do is show up on time yeah so he doesn't he doesn't freeze up from obligation which (laughs) he tends to do you know and for me it's you know the time is just that plus editing which is not insubstantial but it's something I like doing. I'm learning that. Yeah. Your interact, your interaction with the fans on the show is, is so gracious. I mean, you're a creative person. Uh, you're always looking to make something new. And then we open up the, the mailbag and every week your audience, and I'm guilty of this as much as anything, it seems like we're requesting your greatest hits over and over again. Yeah. Well, you know, but, the fact that they think we have greatest hits, that's that's fun enough. And it's the standard, you know, standard morning zoo imitations. Isn't everyone doing imitations of Foster Brooks and 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 Scully and uh, James Mason, you know, all all those hacky. Yeah. I don't know if I have an impression of anyone under 60 in the show. Even the baby is 60 at this point. (laughs) That's right. Oh, ooh, let's do, let, let's get a clean one of that. 
that's good content, folks. <laughs> People hate the baby. People have a very visceral reaction. People either love baby. or hate the baby. Nobody has a baby middle ground. I okay, I, I I have to admit, my, my son does not care for the baby. Yeah, he, some he, people... He gets a little scared. It is uh, it is fingers on a chalkboard to a lot of people. <laughs> Which makes it, you know, more enticing for me. But. Sure. Let's talk about I Need You to Kill. All right. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime for, for people who, who haven't watched it. Uh, is that the best way to, to get hold of it, Amazon Prime? Or? I would say so. If you don't have Amazon, it's free on Amazon Prime if you're a member. Um, if you if you aren't, then you can still you know buy it for download or rent at all you know at iTunes or Google and those places. This this is a, another project that that on the surface the premise can can be resistant. Oh great, another movie about stand up comedy. Right. But but I need you to kill. It's different from any other comedy movie I've, I've ever seen, uh, isn't it? I, I've just I never so. seen anything like it. Thank you. That's, I love to hear that. How, how would how would you describe what 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 do you describe as the premise behind "I Need You to Kill"? Uh, the premise is it's an exploration of the sort of burgeoning stand-up scene in Asia through the eyes of three American comics, um, four if you count me. <laughs> uh, if I recall, they go to Hong Kong and Macau and help me out. Singapore. Singapore. Is Singapore. Right. That's right. Yeah. And the, the 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 comedy clips are 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 fine on themselves. These are all very very talented comics. But um, two things that capture my imagination on this. First of all, Lewis Lee, who is uh, the uh, the owner of Acme Comedy Club. Many Lewis Lee, yeah, Lewis Lee is the uh, Hong Kong born. Uh, owner of Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. Um, and he's somebody that I've known since I was 16 years old as a comic in Minneapolis when he was a bar manager at what was the Comedy Gallery at the time. Um, and so, you know, we go way back. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for Lewis and, and the club that he's built and the contribution he's made to comedy just by again almost sort of putting his vibe in the world you know mm. um using his taste and building his club really from from nothing it was he started his club when comedy in the early 90s when comedy had crashed and uh audiences were tired and comics had gotten lazy and bad and he really just kind of both trained a new generation of Minneapolis comedians and a new generation of Minneapolis audiences at the same time and uh, built this really great place to do comedy. So he, he put together this tour in Asia um, and called me um, and asked, he knew I had been writing doc. I had been making a documentary. This, this one that's coming out, right now called Michael Debar, who do you want me to be? This is something that I've been working on for years and it kind of got held up by music rights for years. Um, so I, I showed, he called me to say if I'd be interested in this, this trip, doing a doc about this trip, because he was going to see if he could get some funding from somebody to finance us doing a documentary. 
And so I showed him a cut of the Michael Day Bar doc and he loved it so much that he called me back and said, well, I'm going to pay for the movie because if we ask anybody for money, they're going to want to tell you what to do. And I want you to make exactly the movie you want to make. So hard to turn down. Lewis, uh, Lewis strikes me as a very savvy businessman. And if he survived comedy in the 90s, he must be. He is a very savvy businessman, but, you know, he lost money on this doc and he's perfectly happy about that. You know, <laughs> he's he's the kind of guy who spends who, who who will spend money the right way. He's never cheap. You know, he's he's a generous guy and he just he wants to do stuff right, you know, by his standards. So, and you know, and I'm kind of the same way, you know, I will, I will spend money to do stuff right and do people right if I can, you know. Exactly. Uh, Lewis's counterpart in Hong Kong is, is this club owner named Jamie Gong. And yes. Jamie is uh, very, very enthusiastic. He's, he's very bullish on, on the comedy scene in, in Hong Kong and, 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 and throughout Asia. And I, I love the interactions between Jamie and Lewis, where Lewis says, you got to be smart about this. you got to build your talent. Um, it's been a couple years since this has been shot, uh, and you know, Hong Kong is doing what Hong Kong is doing. How is the club doing? Do you hear from, from Jamie and, 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 and that club? I have not really stayed in touch with them now. But it's, you know, it's not, it's, I'm, I'm heartbroken by what's happening in Hong Kong because I just loved the city. I really did. And uh, I loved that there was this sort of island of uh, free speech in China. And, it, you know, I, I, I had to debate. There's a, there's a, one of the comics makes a Tiananmen Square joke in the movie. And right. I knew if I left it in, it wasn't going to play in mainland China. Um, I wondered about that, and I wondered about the abortion joke. Yeah, the abortion joke. I don't know if that would be as big a, a big a problem, but I was I was told that uh, it's the, the the three T's, which is Tiananmen, Tibet, and Taiwan, are mm -hmm. the most are the most taboo subjects. Um, but you know, but I, you know, it was important to me to show comics being brave in that, you know, it was important for me to show Chad Daniels, one of the American comics being brave, saying that abortion joke, you know. Chad has such an unlikable personality on stage, which I think is, is part of his act, but that yeah. just, just seeing the, the audience react uh, to him was, was, uh, was, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, Chad has a, uh, less so now, I would say, but, um, there is an adversarial thing built in with Chad that uh, he likes to dare people into scolding him and then rebel against the scolding, you know. But, on, a, uh, on, a, on a personal note, what, what really touched me were seeing all of the locals perform. Um, you know, full disclosure, I, I do an open mic uh, and I am someone, you know, I'm, I've got a day job. I've got no ambition in this. You know, my goal is to become beloved local personality. Right. And uh, you see, see these guys in Hong Kong that are, are getting on stage and, and some of them, you can see where it's going. Uh, and there seems to be an, an extra level of bravery to get on 
stage and get behind the mic in that culture? Uh, yes and no. I think, I think um, you know, a lot of them are expats from elsewhere. And mm-hmm. so I think there's already a sort of level of bravery that's built into them. You know, being going to another country to live and work is a is a brave thing to do, especially you know Hong Kong. You know, um, so it's uh, so I think you know I think like I said I think you're already pulling from a fairly brave subset of society, uh, but it's you know what's for me as an American comic it's just like you don't know you just don't know what you don't know what you're getting up the audience, the nature of the audience that you're getting up in front of, you know, you go into Singapore and you're over and you're as a comic and an outsider, your overwhelming feeling is this is a authoritarian place. I was surprised how lively the crowd was in Singapore. It seemed like this was, was the one place where they could, could release where they could really laugh about the government. Yeah, the truth is, it's there's a lot of very happy free people in Singapore. They aren't chafing for the most part on their day to day life. They aren't chafing under restrictions. You know, they drink a lot as opposed to smoking pot. That's you know that that's the major party difference. You know, um, but you know, as a comic, when you're greeted on the plane by drug traffickers, will be put to death. You know, and uh, you're already sort of they they want they sort of intimidate you upon arrival um but in fact you know once you're there and in the bar scene and stuff it's it's you know it's just expensive bars well uh but the crowd the crowd the crowd is from for the most part you know a a smart well-educated crowd because people in singapore are are well-educated people Mm. I can't recommend the the, the movie enough. Uh, you know, folk, folks, stop listening to this show. What are you doing? And, and go watch it. Well, it's Listen really a movie. I, I wanted to make a movie that wasn't explaining comedy to people. I wanted people. I wanted to sort of make a movie for comics, really. But I wanted to give people a feeling of what, aside from that being on stage feeling, I wanted to give sort of a feeling of what the good things about being a comic are too. You know? Yeah. It really, really captures that spirit. It does. So now your new movie is out. I haven't had a chance to see it. Tell me who Michael DeBar is. Michael DeBar is a, an actor and singer um, who's had this sort of remarkable 50-plus year run through show business, um, you know, starting as an actor as a kid, and most notably one of his early roles was as one of the students in Sidney Poitier's class in To Serve With Love. Um, but then, you know, he also then became a glam rock pioneer with a band called Silverhead that was financed by Deep Purple and Andrew Lloyd Webber. And then his next band was on Led Zeppelin's label with a band called Detective. And then his next band, he he was with the guys from the Sex Pistols and Blondie. And then he wow. replaced Robert Palmer in the Power Station and played at Live Aid. And, you know, so he's had record deals in five different decades. And he's a great singer, a great rock singer. Uh, but he's also along the way 
continued to act. And so he's had left this long trail through television and movies of guest starring on Rockford Files and a famous episode of WKRP. And he was, he was Murdoch uh, on MacGyver, this hitman who, recurring hitman who- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Joe MacGyver, and, you know? <laughs> and so it's basically, in some ways, a history of pop culture of the last 50 years. But it's also the story of this son of a, of a junkie aristocrat and a schizophrenic showgirl who, you know, grows up for the first eight years of his life in squalor living with strippers and then at eight gets thrown into these high-end uh, boarding schools that his father had paid for when he was born and then lost all the money subsequently. Um, and so, you know, it's this guy who has to keep essentially recreating himself, you know. Wow. Is he someone that you know personally? He's someone that I know, yeah. He's someone that I worked with a couple times on a couple of different TV shows that I was writing and producing on and became became friends with him almost 20 years ago when we were working on a show in Vancouver uh, where he had replaced Johnny Rotten in the cast, <laughs> uh, which is a common part of his casting as he, he mr reliability couldn't, couldn't he's, make he's the guy if you're a tv and you're writing a tv episode and you need a rock star he's probably played 50 of those roles you know huh. because he knows what being a rock star is but also knows what's funny about it you know he's got a level of self-awareness which is what attracted me to because because he's you know he's what i call a benevolent narcissist um he you know he desperately wants your attention, but he will absolutely reward your attention with his attention and enthusiasm. And he's just, he's just this person who's kind of a junkie for moments with people, you know, and I, I found that quite charming. And I found that this person who I met who had this background was fascinating to me just as a showbiz creature. Um, and then I found as a person, he really confounded my expectations quite a bit. So initially, initially we had talked about writing a book together years ago and we spent, we spent a fair amount of time doing some interviews for that. And then we both sort of ran out of enthusiasm for writing a book. <laughs> um, and then we sort of, we parted ways for many years, you know, we were acquaintances, but uh, we then ended up as guests on a radio show together. And I kind of said, I don't know why we thought we should do a book. I don't know why we didn't think of a doc. And he's like, yeah, we should. And then within about three weeks, I was shooting. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. How, how can people, how can people, uh, how can people buy this? They can buy or rent it on Amazon prime, iTunes, Google play, and about a half dozen more. It's also probably on your cable uh, on demand uh, system. And give me the title one more time. I want to make sure I got it right. Michael Daybar, D-E-S-B-A-R-R-E-S, Daybar, um, Who Do You Want Me To Be? All right. Which is a reference to his song uh, that he co-wrote, Obsession. Who Do You Want Me To Be To Make You Sleep With Me? Okay, that one I've heard of. All right, now now, now I'm getting somewhere. <laughs> you you got to understand I'm from Oklahoma City. We, we don't get out much. All right. Um, yeah, that was that pretty much of in his you know 50 year music career that's the hit pretty much yeah. he, didn't, he didn't have the hit singing it well let's talk a little music uh before we get to randy let me 
just throw a few general questions out there so people get a feel for for uh, your musical background. Uh, what's a record that you love that most people have already heard of? Don't don't give me something obscure. A record that I love, and, um, Paul Simon Graceland. You are my second guest to pick Graceland. Well, it just seems like the biggest. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I tend to like. I would say my sweet spot for music is like 1977 to 82, Britishy, mm-hmm. New Wavy, uh, not always, you know, Talking Heads, Elvis Costello, um, Joe Jackson, Squeeze. Those are probably my, you know, my Desert Islandy kind of albums. Yep. But then Randy Newman, Paul Simon, um, yeah, you know, there's definitely more, but well, let's let's go a little deeper. What's a group smart, that you smart and funny are tend to be uh, things that attract me to music. You know, sm- smart and funny is something that uh, it's hard to fake. Yeah, they might be giants. Yeah, uh, fountains of Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some of the you know this century picks. <laughs> Barely. Let's go, let's go a little deeper. Uh, What's a group that you love that you wish more people knew about? Um, hmm. uh, maybe Cracker. Tell me about Cracker. Uh, Cracker um, is a, a, they were born from a band called Camper Van Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's smart bar rock essentially. Um, they had their biggest hit was what the world needs now is another folk singer. Like I need a hole in the head. That's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, again, funny, um, smart. Um, I, I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't have a lot of patience for, uh, music without some sort of sense of humor or self-awareness. I think it's easy to get too self-important. It is, yeah. yeah. All right. You're a big movie guy. What's a movie soundtrack you enjoy? Um, boy. Um, I haven't owned a lot of movie soundtracks in my life. I know that uh, as a kid, Animal House soundtrack was a big one. Yeah. Um. Uh, Blues Brothers, mm-hmm. staying on a Belushi uh, track. Um, uh, well, the best the best soundtrack album is uh, Talking Heads. Stop making sense. Absolutely, that's uh, stop making sense. And then and then true stories. I it's just that was such a special era. It really was. Yeah, stop making sense is a really important movie. To in my life stop making sense is one of the few movies that i can that can change my mood always i can't remember i was listening to someone and it may have been you that they talked about seeing stop making sense live a couple of years ago uh and when i saw david burn live not stop making sense. okay okay 
it must have been someone else. Uh, but they talked about the, the scene when he came out wearing the suit. Even though everyone knew it was coming, there was a gasp in the audience. Yeah. Oh, it's a suit. A suit. My wife was at those show, was at one of the shows that they filmed for Stop Making Sense. What? Yeah. My um, wife was cool. But my wife was super cool before I ruined her. <laughs> I know the feeling. Trust me. Um. Okay, so yeah, live music. Uh, is that still a thing in your life anymore? Well, uh, coronavirus notwithstanding. Not really. No, I don't, I don't, we don't go to a lot of shows. It, ha- it, it has to be uh, a special situation for me to really want to. Yeah. You know, be either great seats or something, you know, a great venue or, you know, but going to like a, an arena show is sort of, I don't have, there's no part of me that craves that anymore. You're not a big K-pop fan? Not so much. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't dismiss the music, but it's not, yeah, it's just not, not for me. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about today's song. Uh, what song did you bring to the show today? Uh, I believe we settled on My Life is Good. From <laughs> My Life is Good. Trouble in Paradise. All right. Um, I'm going to. We're going to have a quick break here for the audience to, to get a chance to listen to that. That's it's on Trouble in Paradise, and the song is My Life is Good. And if you'd like, you can give your best 65 degrees in downtown Los Angeles. 65 degrees. Here's Randy Newman with Trouble in Paradise. My life is good. Campdown races sing this song. Do-da, do-da. All right. We are back. Uh, all right, Josh, you are going to have to sell me on this one. I love Trouble in Paradise. Uh, I, it's probably the one I've listened to most in the past six months. Really? But My Life is Good is one of the tracks that I usually skip. Wow. So s- sell me on this song. Well, the first thing is it's just friggin' hilarious to me. It is, it is absolutely a scathing... A portrait of Los Angeles, Bel Air living showbiz people, narcissism, um, which you know I've lived among for some twenty-eight years now. Um, and what I like about it, just conceptually, is it's one of the few times where it could be him as the narrator. Yes, I noticed uh, that. I mean, he even, uh, he even, you know. Bruce calls him Rand. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, one of the gifts of Randy Newman is his ability to commit to a character, you know. Uh, (laughs) You could say that. You know, and usually frequently despicable characters. Right. And he has a safety with irony that virtually nobody else has you know there there he can he will go he will commit to his irony and not wink at you you know and that's you know in any kind of comedy or art commitment is everything as far as i'm concerned so the fact that he could portray himself as this narcissistic showbiz monster in this show uh lashing out at a teacher for you know, criticizing his children. For the mildest criticism of his child. Yeah, but you see it in Donald Trump, that if you are narcissistic, 
there is no slight that won't make you go into fight or flight mode, you know? Yeah. And so, so it's such a great portrait of just narcissism in and of itself. This, this completely braggadocious, unprovoked attack on this teacher to show her that she must be wrong about my kid because it reflects on me, you know? One thing that's so interesting about this character is that once he gets started, he has to keep building and keep building uh, until he gets to to brags that can't possibly be true. Uh, right, it gets so absurd good. that he is. How would you the like to be boss for a while? Yeah, uh, that, but but if he gets a laugh out of that bigness when he comes back to reminding you that he's still talking to the teacher. You know? Yeah, it's like she's just been bombarded with this for the past three or four minutes. And when he could have just proven his point with, you know, here, here's my checking account balance. Right. But that's, and that's why it's, you know, that's why it's comedically at least a level deeper because it truly is not just, it is, it's a real narcissistic response, you know? As, as someone who's, who's been in, in, in showbiz for 30 years and don't name names, are there people that this makes you think of? You've seen this kind of behavior just in your, your professional interactions? Yeah, I mean, you've seen, you've, I've seen plenty of behavior flavored like that, mm. you know. He states it all in such a naked way that, you know, that to digest it in a three-minute song, but, but the flavor of all those things is, is, is real, you know. I mean, he had the 70s version of it, essentially, you know with you know cocaine and restaurants and you know but um but yeah no it's that sense of entitlement is very real that sense of i am in show business and famous and therefore a better person um is very real or a more important person you know and uh, i mean that's we talked about that sort of at the beginning of this thing about you know you know your my relationship to fans you know, it's, yeah. it's part of that is, I think, a, a response to seeing the negative examples. You know, um, while we're talking trouble in paradise, uh, you know, I I have to bring up I love LA, and you know, I ask this to to anyone who is you know in Los Angeles area. As an outsider, I see nothing but cynicism in that song. But it seems like so many people in Los Angeles take it at face value. I mean, yeah, they, they just have heard the chorus at Laker yeah. game. So they'll play uh, it at a Dodgers game or what have you. Yeah, it's the victory song for the Lakers and stuff. And but it, you know, there, it's you, you know, even if I mean, you living outside of LA, it's it's cynical and ironic. Living in LA, it's even more so because all the streets he shouts out are completely mundane, shitty streets. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. Imperial Highway is like the road to nowhere, you know, and Victory Boulevard is a shitty street in the valley, and, you know, Sixth Street is nothing, you know, so it's a, so there's extra humor in that he's shouting out these streets that aren't really celebrated. They just sound cool, you know? Wow. But, you know, but there isn't, that you don't get Randy, unless he's writing for someone else, you know, a movie song or something, you don't get Randy Newman without some level of irony or cynicism. Yeah. 
But there's so much, you know, what's not cynical is his commitment to an idea, you know. I can't help but think that, that this character... By the way, I don't know how I've gone 40 minutes now without being funny at all, ever. So <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, I, I think your audience would disagree there. But, uh, yeah, that, back to my life is good. Uh, you know, he has, he's, he's portrayed lots of monsters uh, through yeah. his songs, just truly despicable people. I really hate this guy. <laughs> Uh, and I think a lot of it is, uh, I mean, there. Al- although he is famous and entitled and, and narcissistic, he he's so insecure that that he's got to name drop. Yeah, no, you're supposed to hate that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are absolutely supposed to hate this guy. He doesn't have a redeeming quality, and it's made all the better by the fact that he's portraying it as himself. Yeah. That to me is great comedy and great art. You know. Yeah, you know, and I think the the magic of Randy Newman in his vibe, using the theme that we've established, is I don't give a f- you know I don't give a f- what you think you know he he is willing to be brave enough to take on the ire of the stupid you know mm-hmm. of people who can't recognize irony of people who can't recognize analogy you know he is willing to bravely go this was my idea for this character and this song you know and as he said i I never hated short people until after the song (laughs) you know following on that there, there are, are plenty of, of songs of his that have been misunderstood, and it's almost like he doesn't care that they're misunderstood either. No, and that's that's what I mean. Yeah. He he is. Uh, that's how much respect he has for his audience. Is how I see it. You know. Yeah, I just I, I just have so much respect for for that. You know, just for not dumbing it down and not 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 being uh not going out of his way to explain that these are characters you know like if you can't get that if you can't see that you shouldn't be here yeah Mm. all right josh we come to the dangerous part of the show okay i'm I'm hauling out the wheel <laughs> on this wheel is a, a hundred Randy Newman songs. Being the wheel on the theater of the mind. Yes, I, I keep picturing it was that wheel of song that Elvis Costello used yeah. to take out on stage. Um, but here, here is most of his catalog, uh, and uh, maybe you've heard the song before, random. maybe not. But we're gonna random. give this a listen and talk it over. Are you ready to spin okay. the wheel? Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Big money. Big money, all right. And we have landed on Old Kentucky Home. Oh, okay. From the album 12 Songs. And uh, I'll give my audience a a chance to, to pause this and listen to this on their platform. Bet my money on a bobtown rag all the yeah. doodah day. 
righty. And we are back. All right. First impressions of this song. Uh, first impression of the song is that it was uh, a transition time. I think. I think it was. Uh, it was that that album, Twelve Songs, is sort of the last remnants of Randy Newman, songwriter. Yeah. For others, uh, before it was like real randy newman albums i think i think the next album after that was sail away but yes um and that's where i feel like he really came into his own and his style but um you know that feels like to me randy newman trying to do you know a down-home country song that's whimsical but not there's no teeth to it really i agree uh i i i kind of feel like he's he's setting the stage for good old boys yeah, Which I, I agree. think takes him a couple of years, um, and you know, good old boys. <laughs> boy, we could talk about that for a while. But you know, for for Randy going back and forth between L.A. and New Orleans, he's always had one toe in the South. Yeah, um, but you know, I, I I grew up in Alabama, and when it comes to songs about the South, we, we can spot a fake a mile away. Yeah. Um, and so you have to, if you're not from the South and you write about the South, you have to, you have to be nearly perfect. You have to be on, 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 the, on the level of, of say a Gillian Welch yeah. to get away with that. And, and, or else it just sounds like a caricature. Or else Leonard Skinner will make a rebuttal song. <laughs> yes. Speaking of, of people missing the irony of a song. <laughs> yes. Well, what um, do you think? What do you think about Good Old Boys then? As a sophomore? I I love Good Old Boys. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one that is hard to recommend to people because uh, track one is just brutal. Um, it's brutal but brilliant. Yeah, it is. Um, it, at the same there, time, it, it uses I, it uses the N word, which uh, I, I I'm super no, careful I, about. I, I don't think you're wrong, but I also don't think you're right. <laughs> you know what I, mean? <laughs> I really, you know, I think it, you know, I think it transcends that as a piece of art. But I also completely understand not wanting to be a part of putting that word into the universe on, on with you with your uh, hands. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is that, that, that I grew up with with that word being so weaponized and so yeah. pervasive right. um, uh, that uh, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't people doing a, a character. <laughs> no, it was not. And it was, you know, respectable people, but uh, you know, it's, it, it's like that uh, old Eddie Murphy skit, uh, White Like Me, yeah, when it was just white people around, people changed. They changed right. the way they talked, sure. and you know. So I, I don't see the charm <laughs> in the character of rednecks. Uh, well, I don't think there is any charm. Oh no, no, yeah. there, there's not. I don't think he's. I don't think he's trying to seduce you around the character. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I, I keep promising myself I'm not going to talk about rednecks. I'm almost at the point where I need a sound effect for whenever someone brings yeah. up rednecks, just a little klaxon. 
Well, but I think it's, I think it is, if you're talking about Randy Newman, it's an important piece of work. I'm mm -hmm. not saying you, that you have an obligation to play it, mm -hmm. but I do think if someone gets interested in Randy Newman and avoids what is a pretty brave piece of art, then you're, you're cheating yourself. Well, and, and you had asked about the album, you know, Good Old Boys is one that I, I listened to a lot. And uh, a, as a Southern expat, uh, it, 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 it's one of those albums uh, where, where I'm wrestling with my identity, uh, my upbringing, uh, my cultural identity, um, you know, on the levels of you know, uh, R.E.M.'s Fables of the Reconstruction or, or Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. Uh, what does it mean to be a Southerner uh, with a conscience? Right. So sum that up. Um, so yeah, my old Kentucky home, you know, he gets a laugh with this song. Uh, the, the line, she didn't grow up, she grew out. Mama says she's plain, but she's just being kind. Papa thinks she's pretty, but he's almost blind. It's a soft version of Wedding in Cherokee County. Yes, it very much has that vibe. Which is but a hilarious the, song. It is. It is. I love that one. Um, so I think I see my old Kentucky home as, as a building block towards something better. But, uh, yeah, you can tell it, it, it's not quite there yet. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all uh, – there's no uh, – you could tell that it was it was just a song that was written. It wasn't a Randy Newman song. You know? Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, just a couple of items. Uh, one short thing we do each week is this week's cover. This week's cover. Uh, and that's where I spotlight a Randy Newman song sung by someone else. Uh, this week, my recommendation to everyone is I Don't Want to Hear It by Dusty Springfield. Uh, if you've listened to Dusty in Memphis, this song has the, the, the dubious distinction of being the song after Son of a Preacher Man. So it's a song that people have heard the first 10 seconds of a lot. Uh, <laughs> but I Don't Want to Hear It is uh, it, it's this beautiful song about uh, living in poverty and just the indignity of living in poverty because they're so poor that the walls are thin enough that she can hear everyone talking about her cheating man. Gotcha. So it's, it's Good really, it, it's a insult added to entry. It's just a beautiful song. So we'll have a link to that on, on our Twitter page. Okay. Well, Josh now the, the time for plugs. We've discussed your projects, but uh, nutshell them. Where, where can people get hold of you and, and uh, see your projects? Uh, the the aforementioned podcast is Thought Spiral. Uh, my stand-up album is called Chunks, J. Elvis Weinstein Chunks. Uh, the new movie is uh, Michael DeBar, Who Do You Want Me To Be? Available on all the streaming services for purchase or rental. Uh, my other doc, uh, I Need You to Kill, available on Amazon Prime. And uh, I'm co-starring in a movie called The Fiddling Horse. Uh, that should be coming out this year, too. I've seen a rough cut of that. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. All right. Josh, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, 
encourage encourage everyone to follow him. He's uh, uh, on top of all the projects that he's listed. He's a, a very funny Twitter follower in his own right. Uh, gives the president the biz now and then. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, Josh. Sure, Dan. It was fun. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Wheel of Randy for links to today's songs. Thanks to Good Trash Media for distributing this show. Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Check him out on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. Thanks to Matt Farley for our original music. Check out his many, many compositions at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Our background music is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids. You can find that wherever you get your public domain ragtime. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. We are a water and sewer engineering firm registered in Oklahoma and Texas. And if you ask nicely, we'll register in your state too. Wade specializes in hydraulic modeling. If you're a city or a rural water district or a fire department, you've got to get a hydraulic model. First thing, before you spend one more dollar on construction, get a model. If you're an engineering firm, don't do hydraulic modeling yourself. This isn't something you can learn on the job. It's very easy for a hydraulic model to give you the wrong answer if you're not careful. Play it safe and bring in an expert. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634. See you next time, everybody. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.